Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. It's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. How are you? It's been a long time since I made a podcast, and I'm glad you are still subscribed or following, whatever they call it, on your Facebook or your YouTube, whatever you happen to be watching. We're glad that you are here. I took the whole summer off. Because I was so busy with my new full-time job as a disc jockey and with my fishing guy business on top of that, I've been working like 70 hours a week. Finally, I got a breath and I get to make you a podcast. We're going to go to, I think, a bi-weekly show as we get into fall and winter here, as we get back in the spring of things, in the fall and the winter. So hope you enjoy it. A lot going on here. One of the cool things that happened this summer, uh, probably the coolest thing, is I got a phone call from a guy and he goes, hey, Clay. My dad just turned 100, and I want to know if you could take him fishing. I said, sure, tell me the story. He goes, okay, my dad is in a nursing home. He's been in the nursing home since before COVID-19 pandemic, and he's been sitting in there, and he just turned 100, and he said, before I die, I want to go fishing one more time. And I asked around, and everyone said, oh, call Clay. He'll be able to take him out. So I took on the challenge of taking a 100-year-old man out of a nursing home and putting him in a boat. And I asked him a few questions first. I said, okay, is your dad mobile? He said, no, he's in a wheelchair. Can he hold a fishing rod? Barely, but he won't be able to work a reel. Okay, can he talk? Not really. <laughs> is it great? I'm in. Uh, and so he booked the trip. He paid all in advance. And I said, okay, that's like that trip's coming up in like three weeks. Do you want death insurance? He goes, no, we're going to go fishing. Whether my dad lives or dies, we're going. Okay. I said, well, I don't have a waiver. What if your dad dies in the boat? He says, well, then we're going to fish weekend at Bernie style. So I said, all right, well, I'm count me in. So my daughter Zoe and I decided to take this on. We pulled the front seats out of my pontoon boat. When you do that, you can fit a wheelchair on the pontoon boat. So the, the guy's name was Frank. Uh, I forget the son's name, but the old guy's name is Frank. And they met us down at the lake, and they wheeled him to the boat. Now, my daughter Zoe was supposed to be holding the boat to the dock so that Frank can get on the boat. And so Frank's son and I are trying to lift the wheelchair onto the boat. By the way, Frank is 100. His son is in his 80s. So <laughs> he's no spring chicken either. And we're trying to lift it in the boat. Zoe got distracted. It didn't hold the boat. Next thing you know, the boat's floating up in the dock, and Frank's wheelchair wheels are dangling over open water. So I had to yell at Zoe real quick. I had to find the strength to lift this guy in his wheelchair up because his son couldn't do it. And then we got him on the boat. Boom. Good. And he brought, they brought like six people with them. So it was like a big crowded boatload of people to go fishing for Frank's 100th birthday. So we started motoring out to the fishing spot. We decided to fish using Tenkara rods because we wanted to fish the easiest way possible. And Tenkara is the simplest way to catch perch. You don't need a fishing reel. Any fly will do. And we were using, we were even cheating more than that. We were using some of Crappie Hickby's uh, little tungsten, uh, little lead-free jigs with a little piece of worm on them. So even better than that. And we're on the way to the spot, three miles away. On the way there, it gets super windy, and a thunderstorm rolls through. And I said, you guys want to quit? And they're like, nope, we don't want to quit. This is our only shot, so we're going to go for it. So we started going out across the lake. Wind is howling. It's raining. It's hailing. 
Frank's sitting there. I can't tell if he's happy or not. No one seems to care. We're going for it. The storm blows right over us. Uh, and then it's sunny and warm, like 80, 80 degrees. We all warm up. We get to the fishing spot. There's no wind. It's perfect. We park the boat right in the right spot. Zoe goes to the front of the boat, grabs a 10-car rod, telescopes it out, pulls the string down. And I know 10-car, you guys, you can't put a worm on a 10-car hook. You can. There's no rules. Stop with all your stupid rules. Anyway, so Zoe puts a little hunk of worm on there, drops it in, and within seconds, Frank has his first fish on. He lifts up out of the water. He can barely hold the rod. He's kind of small. We snap a few shots. What the thing goes? A little four-inch yellow perch. It was tiny, but it counts as a fish. And the goal was to get Frank on some fish before he dies. And so far, so good. Two or three fish later, we finally find the bigger yellow perch. The one's more the 10 to 13-inch size. That's what we're kind of after. And he hooks one. And Frank can barely talk. He's holding the rod. And I got this on video. And he's fighting this fish in. And he's trying to lift it in the boat, but he can't because, you know, it's a 10-foot, 10-car rod. He's in a wheelchair. He has no strength. He can barely, barely hold the rod itself. He's pulling on it, pulling on it. And under his breath, you can hear him going, Yo, bastards! Yo, bastards! And he finally pulls the fish onto the boat. And we get our shots. And we let it go. And then we pulled in, you know, we, we have four or five more fish later. So he got about a dozen fish in the end of the day. We went and had a barbecue on the boat, took photos, sent them on their way, and his uh, son said that was the best day his dad's had in years. And so I was able to deliver a 100-year-old guy his fishing trip, and his son booked it as his last fishing trip. But then afterwards, we're talking. He goes, hey, Clay. I said, what? He goes, if my dad's still alive next March, can you take him ice fishing? And of course, I, <laughs> of course I said yes. So that's the plan is to take a mice fishing. So anyway, welcome back to the Fish Nerds Podcast. I missed you guys. It's been a good, fun summer. I'll have other stories to tell later. We're going to do a special show tonight. We're going to do some fish in the news. And then uh, the Crappie Hippie and Tim Beat have started their own podcast. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to play it right in our podcast feed so you can check it out. And it will be very, it will be, it will be very familiar to you. Everybody loves the fish in the news. All right, let's get into this here. This is from NBC News. The headline is, is a catfish farm abusing its fish? Animal rights group say yes. So uh, shortly before 7.45 a.m., a slaughterhouse worker trudged inside a nondescript building at the end of a dirt road and headed to what they called the kill floor. There, when no one was looking, one of them would flip on a hidden camera and record the animals writhing on the conveyor belt. Now, this sounds really spooky. Uh, but they were actually filming catfish. So usually expect chickens or cows, but not fish. This is the first time the animal rights group has gone after fish. All right. So beginning in August 2020, the investigators at the facility, which is a catfish farm in central Mississippi, documented the fish being dumped on a conveyor belt and left to suffocate when workers took breaks. This is according to Animal Equity. The investigators also shot videos of turtles and unwanted fish abandoned in buckets without water for long stretches of time before, before being chopped up alive in an industrial machine, according to the group. Now, that sounds terrible. The investigation is a new front in the effort to improve treatment of animals that end up on your dinner plate. So that's what they're going with. Uh, and they, they wanted to really talk about the better treatment of animals. They have pictures of these fish and turtles in the on these conveyor belts. Um, and 50 years ago, the United States installed legal guardrails to reduce the suffering of slaughtered animals like pigs and cows. But fish have not been seen in this way. They've not been treated the same as, say, mammals. 
because a lot of people say fish don't feel or sense things the same way as mammals. But uh, the science is coming around. Fish do, in fact, feel some pain. We don't know the measure of the pain. Um, but I think no matter how, I'm not going to read the whole article to you. I think no matter how we come down on whether fish feel pain or not, I think we can all agree that maybe we should think about treating fish better. If you're going to eat a fish, maybe you want to kill it fast, even if it's just a catfish from a fish farm. I imagine most people don't care on these big trawler boats. They're scooping these big fish out, dumping them on the decks. They're suffocating in the as they go in the freezer and all that. So, so the laws in Mississippi where this happened uh, don't exclude fish, according to legal experts. But uh, getting a prosecutor to crack down on a place for fish abuse is another matter. So Animal Equi- Equality laid out its findings in an email to the prosecutor at the Yazoo County and called for a criminal investigation into the catfish farm. Yazoo County Prosecutor John Donaldson finally wrote back, I'm not interested in any of this, he wrote, according to an email that was shared with NBC News. Now, I think it's a big mistake to respond, I'm not interested in any of this. I think his job is to follow the law. Now, I don't know if I'm on the side of the fish farmers or on the side of the animal rights people, but I think that when you share prosecutor information, that's not a good response. Now, Michigan State University law professor David Farber, who's an expert on animal cruelty laws, said he's not surprised uh, that they couldn't get a prosecutor to take this case because he thinks that a jury wouldn't do any good of this. So, But they can try it. And so we'll see what happens. So far, they have not gone to court. And the big debate is, do, do fish feel pain? Now, we did a whole bit on this last year when we interviewed Dr. Jonathan Balcom, who wrote What a Fish Knows. So we've explored that in pretty heavy detail. He, he thinks fish feel pain. I think they probably do. I think, do they feel pain the same way like a pig does? I think probably not. But I think that we can, you know, let's let's be nicer to fish. That's the takeaway from this story. So that's story number one there from uh, NBC News. Now, in bigger fish news, and this is this is the real news of the summer, and I, I regret not reporting this when it first came out back in July, and this is according to the Global Times, uh, it came out July 27th, headline, man inserts eel into rectum from anus in hopes to relieve constipation. Yeah, a man from China in the Jiangsu province inserted a 20-centimeter-long eel into his rectum from his anus on July 20th, hoping to reveal con- to, re- relieve, to, to relieve constipation. But instead, almost lost his life after the eel entered his abdomen. Yeah, yeah. this is an old folk remedy. It says the eel can help with bowel movements. I, I bet it does. But instead of curing the constipation, the eel went from the man's rectum to the colon and bit right through it and entered his abdominal cavity. Holy smokes. He finally went to the hospital after enduring the pain for the first day as he was too shy to see the doctor. I don't blame him. I would If, if I put a fish in my bottom... I also would be a little bit shy to go to the doctor. The doctor who gave him the operation said he could have lost his life as a bacteria in the large intestine may cause hemolysis when it reaches the abdominal cavity. The eel was still alive when it was removed during the operation. The man is not the only victim of this folk remedy that says inserting an eel into the rectum can cure constipation. A 50-year-old man in South China's Gangdong province did the same thing with a 40-centimeter-long eel back in June of 2020. We may report that here. On June second, twenty twenty, our African carp was found in the stomach of a young man in Gangdong who couldn't the fish slid into his rectum after he accidentally sat on. So, men putting fish into their butts is not a new thing. It's been happening forever. I, I don't. I don't partake in it. But I always wonder, like, how many different things did he try before he tried putting an eel into his bottom? You know, did he like work his way up to it? Did he like, okay, let's try goldfish? Nope, nothing. 
nothing there. You know, let's try uh, let's try a triggerfish. Nope, nothing there. And then okay, we need something big and long and slimy. Eels away, and then there's like the whole way. How do you how do you do that? How do you how do you negotiate an eel into your bottom? Your bottom isn't built to accept that. I mean, maybe some training ahead of time. Do you got to like stretch things out? Do you have to put a tube in it? A big giant funnel? I don't know. If you know, uh, don't tell me because I don't. I don't actually really want to know. <laughs> I don't really want to know. But I always wonder too, like, like when people fall into these old, old wives' tales and old remedies. Uh, who, what makes them think this is better than just like going to the pharmacy and picking up a poop pill? Uh, is poop pill a thing? I don't know. They could do it. So anyway, that, that's your fish in the news. <laughs> Ah, fish in the news. I, I regret that already. All right, let's get back into the podcast. We're going to jump right into Lure Love. You'll recall, longtime listeners will know Lure Love was a part of the Fish Nerds podcast, start, started by two Fish Nerds correspondents, John King, the crappie hippie, and Tim Beat. Uh, when they first pitched this to me, they sent me the first episode of Lure Love as a segment for the Fish Nerds podcast. First thing I told Tim was, why are you giving this to me? This should be its very own standalone podcast. It should not be part of the Fish Nerds feed. This is so good. Uh, and then he gave us like 10 episodes, like 10, you know, 10 mini bits for the Fish Nerds podcast. Every single one better than the last. Finally, finally, late last winter, Tim and John came to me and they said, Hey, Clay, we're thinking about launching Lore Love as its own standalone podcast. And I said, that's what I've been telling you to do from the very beginning, finally. Uh, so if you're looking for a companion podcast for the Fish Nerds, make sure you check out Lure Love with Tim Beat the crap, Tim Beat and the crappie hippie John King. It's wonderful. It's pure joy. They do a great job with it. And uh, to give them a little boost, we're going to drop their latest episode right into the Fish Nerds feed right here. You're going to listen to it while you listen to the Fish Nerds podcast, just as you always would as they were before. And then make sure when you come out of this, you subscribe or follow Lure Love on your favorite podcast app and make sure you support them because they're putting out great content for you. And we love John King and we love Tim Beat and we're so glad that they've done this and we hope, we hope they're hugely successful. They can be even be bigger than the fish nerds themselves, which isn't much because we're not that big. We're just consistent. <laughs> and even that's not so true. All right, here we go. Here's Lure Love. Lure Love. I can't get enough Got a space in my tackle box Just got to fill it up Lure love I can't ever stop Don't got a basement Got an underground tackle shop And here are the hosts of the Lore Love Podcast John, Crappy Hippie King And Tim, Tackle Box Beat John and I, along with Lucy, the Lurematic computer, are so excited for this first episode of the Lure Love podcast, where our motto is, why buy one lure when you can buy 103? So, John, both of us have test fishing ponds where we test out lures. Tell me a little bit about the pond on your property where you test lures. Uh, it's a, oh, it's just, just a little under, just a little over right around two acres. It's shared by myself, my sister and our neighbor. Um, but I own most of it and uh, it's just your typical Kansas pond with the 
bass, bluegill, catfish, and but we also have crappie and red ear in that pond. So it gives me a good opportunity to uh, go down and and uh, test things out when I think them up, or just keep my fishing skills sharp. And I encourage people to you know come and fish. Uh, I like that it gets some pressure because uh, that is a good judge of a bait if it can overcome the fishing pressure and get fish to strike. So yeah, typical Kansas pond. We love it. How deep is it? You know, it is good and deep. I mean, it's the very middle. It's probably six and a half feet, you know, which doesn't sound like a lot. But in Kansas, if you find a pond that's over, you know, six, eight feet, that's that's a deeper pond. Real deep ponds are around, you know, 10 to 15 and quarry ponds and all that. Don't get me going on ponds, Tim, because I've, I have two of my favorite <laughs> ponds are only three and a half, four feet deep all the way across. You can wade all the way across them and they're killer. Let's hear about your pond. So the, the pond that I have at my house, I'm actually live in the suburbs. So it's a suburban detention pond. It's only about three quarters of an acre, but the water is pretty clear for a, a pond uh, like that. Cause you know, you get a lot of the runoff and things coming into it. Similar to yours, bass, bluegill, catfish, and some huge grass carp that I've had the pleasure of catching on a fly rod. And they are just amazing fish to uh to catch probably maybe nine feet deep at the deepest but similar to your pond probably averages five or six feet um heavily pressured but that most of that pressure is from me i fish it almost every day i do at least one lap and especially when we get new lures to review the great thing is i open the mail and i'm out at the pond in five minutes and testing those bad boys out I hear that. I hear that. I mean, yeah, that's the beauty of it, right? Like I, um, you get something and man, you go right on down. I, you know, we're just a couple little kids when it comes to lures, aren't we? Tim? <laughs> we are, we are. Oh, that was a good cast. Nice cast. She's in there. All right. Oh, here she comes. Here she comes. Look at the size of that weight. Dang son. Where'd you find that lure? Hey, you know what, Tim? Berkeley sent me some fishing lures. They sent you some fishing lures? They sure did. And there's nothing that we like better than getting free lures in the mail to review. They sent us the Hit Sticks. Love that name. Hit Stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's a beautiful bait, beautifully constructed on that uh, Rapala minnow you know, design that's been known and loved and, and emulated and copied. Uh, but I think this goes beyond pure reinvention. I think this is... Uh, as unique a take on the, on the uh, slim minnow as you can find. There's really a lot of research and design that went into this lure. Sometimes you see a new lure comes out and it just seems like it's a, a slight variation of things you've seen before, but the, the uh, scientists at Berkeley really put a lot of thought into this. And I really wish we had had the chance to talk to some of the Berkeley lure scientists to learn more about the hit stick. Well, Tim, you could call Berkeley and talk to one of their scientists. Or I could just hack into their mainframe and get the answers for you. Don't do that, Lucy. Too late. I'm inside the Berkeley mainframe. Whoa, 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 whoa. Accessing top secret hit stick design documents. Analyzing, analyzing, analysis complete. At least you didn't leave any tracks that you've been in their mainframe. The hit stick is a jerkbait style lure that comes in seven bait lengths from two inches to five and one ninth inches and 20 color combinations. Swim depth is from 2 to 9 feet. The hit stick delivers ultimate versatility and can be used as a finesse jerkbait, trolling bait, 
or casting bait for all predator fish. Berkeley scientists identified four key design factors that they incorporated in the hit stick. The factors are Number 1. Yaw Yaw is rotation around the vertical axis of the bait. Number 2. Tail swing Tail swing causes vibration, which attracts fish. Number 3. Roll When the bait rolls side to side, it flashes, attracting fish. Number 4. Pitch The pitch of the bait in the water should be flat mimicking the way a bait naturally swims in the water. Together, these four pillars attract fish from a distance and also pass up close inspection just before the fish strikes. Very interesting. Balsa has always been a great material for jerk baits because of its lifelike action. I've always liked fishing with balsa, but it does have a few drawbacks. You know, the original Rapala was primarily used as a trolling lure because in the 30s, when it was invented, the rods and reels and lines weren't capable of casting such a light lure. That's right, Tim. As a material, balsa can be inconsistent, not very durable, and can't be cast very far. Especially if you're trying to cast into the wind. The hit stick was designed to remove all of those negative factors while keeping the positive ones. Using their patented flash disc technology, flat weights on the bottom of the bait, Berkeley was able to keep the buoyancy and action of balsa with a tougher exterior, and the ability to cast much further than balsa. The flash discs add mass without sacrificing buoyancy, and give plenty of room for rattles. I love rattles! The synthetic material used for the hit stick is much more consistent than balsa. Every hit stick swims exactly the same. Hit sticks are 364% tougher than balsa, and cast 60% further than balsa. There are four patents pending on the hit stick design. Exiting the Berkeley mainframe computer. Well, I guess that was a little bit easier than calling the Berkeley scientists. Oh, by the way, I also downloaded the stats from the Berkeley fish strike tests. I'm printing it out for you now, Tim. Okay, so the hit stick advertising says that it's scientifically proven to bring more fish into the boat. Now, you've gone over this data, Tim. Explain it to me. Explain it to the listeners. What is this Berkeley data saying to us? Well, the first thing is I love the fact that at Berkeley and other lure companies that they actually are doing this science and and testing. And at, at Berkeley, they conduct their research in their lab's fish behavior pool so they they can watch how fish react to different lures and, and to estimate catch rates and how often the uh, the fish are hitting the lure. It really makes sense because while you want to test lures in the field, you want to watch how fish you know approach them and, um, and the reaction that you get out of them. So they have their pros doing head-to-head field testing too, but the lab is really key. And they use their research to determine the specific actions and hard baits that increase the catch rate. So what is it about a, the, the wobble, the action that gets more fish to strike? And they've taken those features and then designed them into the hit stick. The research data shows is that in their fish behavior pool, Berkeley ran these hard baits by live bass and they watched and they quantified how they reacted to different baits. And they compared the hit stick to a similar competitive floating minnow style bait. Um, And they measured both the hits when the fish actually takes the bait as well as bumps. So, you know, you've been fishing and a fish comes up and just kind of noses the bait, but is showing significant interest in it. And they tested three different sizes of the hit stick. And overall, and I thought this was pretty impressive, the hit stick got 33% more hits and bumps 
than uh, than the competitor. But the results did vary by the size of the bait. And I thought that this was interesting for the smallest bait, which was two and three quarter uh, inches and a quarter ounce, the hit stick up 45% more hits and bumps. Now that is a significant difference. The three and a half inch bait, which is also a quarter ounce, got 34% more hits and bumps. And the largest bait they tested, the four and a half inch got 20% more. Now, I don't think that really means that you get fewer strikes on the larger bait. As you and I both know, John, on any given day, fish are just going to hit different things. And I, I think that that's more coincidence. But what we're seeing here is that overall, their tests showed that they were getting significantly more hits and bumps using the hit stick than a similar type bait. No, you never know what they're going to hit, although I, that little number seven is my favorite. And uh, I was glad to see it came out on top. But yeah, of course, they're different size forage. I mean, I don't know how fish in a, in a fish pool and artificial environment like that are going to be in terms of uh, when they've been fed and this and that, and maybe, you know, longer uh, baits or, you know, a four and a half inch bait is harder to compete against or harder to make different or, oh gosh, we could, we could do the metaphysical meanderings on this all day, but yeah, it's, it, it doesn't mean it, it's, you know, it's it still got 20% more. So out of 10 casts, it's giving you two more two more bumps than you had before. So, yeah, still doing pretty good. And what was your experience using the, the hit stick, John? Oh, I, like we say, I ran right down test pond, used them, caught one bass right off. And then, uh, and, and we're not talking, you know, you know, big bass, we're talking pound bass here and, and hammer handles and stuff, but, uh, it was on a really cold, cold, windy day. And that lure cut that wind. And, you know, I was able to cast without backlashing, which, you know, backlashing for me is an issue on a regular perfect day. So it was great to have a bait that really cut that wind. And because I've got all this brush in my pond, uh, the advantage of a floating, floating jerk bait, uh, with a real slow, slow rise like this is that instead of staying weight neutral and then continuing to move down the water column, you know, every time I'd work it, when I'd come to the brush, you have to be patient because it is a real slow floater. It's really good as a jerk bait, but it will float up high enough then that you can, you can walk it over the top of the uh, brush. And then once you're, you know, the other side, you can, you can hit it hard and, and pull it down and get it back uh, to a greater depth, really well built to stay in that strike zone. Wow. What a hard vibration. What a hard wobble. I mean, you this thing you've got to know it's sending off a lot of sound and then uh, i got a chance to go out another day to a private lake this is a really weedy brushy brushy messy uh lake uh and it was a sunny day a beautiful day and uh they have these little flash weights in the belly of that thing you know those things you know what i'm talking about right yeah the flash discs yeah yeah flash discs yes and you know that that bait really rolls and those in the sun when they've got some light to catch uh, they, they give you, they give you a good flashy look. So you've got a visual component killer paint job with epoxy that I think you could take a bullet to and not penetrate Uh really good construction on the thing and uh beautiful paint. And then of course it flashes too. Yeah. So I, I took it right out to the test pond and also fished it on a, a local uh river for smallmouth. And I had a lot of the same experiences that you did. When you first see these flash discs, it makes you think that this is going to be a sinking lure, um, but it's not. It floats. It is super buoyant. It casts like a bullet. 
I fish a lot of ultralight. What I found is I could cast this and put it exactly where I, I wanted much more than other small jerk baits. I mean, when you deal with a large jerk bait, it has enough weight just in that body, but even with these small ones, and what's interesting is in many cases, the weight is the same, a quarter ounce, regardless of the length. So they've kept it kind of at that optimal, uh, the weight. It has the great action that you talked about, but the thing that really impressed me the most was it's near neutral buoyancy, meaning when you stop reeling that in or jerking it, the lure just hangs there in the water column. So if you have a bass that, or other uh, species that's coming up and, and watching that lure with a lot of jerk baits I fished with, you stop reeling it and it just pops right up to the, the surface immediately. This hangs right in front of the fish for a long time. As a matter of fact, it hangs for so long, I kept thinking I was snagged. I'd be like, well, well, the lure didn't come up. Where is it? Is it snagged on something? And it just sits there. And I think that's probably the best feature of this. It casts like a bullet and it hangs there in that water column. So if you're jerking it, not reeling it consistently, you can stay at the same depth. You can jerk it and, and let it sit there for a few seconds and then jerk it again. And you're not, it's not floating all the way back to the, the top. And I give them high marks for those designs, as well as you saying the thing's bulletproof. I mean, it is a very hard surface lure and I bounced it off rocks on purpose. Didn't make a, a you know, a dent in the, the, the thing and was very easy to get hookups on it. Very high quality hooks as well. Yeah, it, it's it's an exciting bait. It's a well-built bait. And and the, the fact that it does have that near neutral, and yet it does have a floating aspect to it, uh, is going to be sheer dynamite for people fishing for those big black crappies where you've got them down in the weed bed and they're they're looking up and, you know, that old technique where you stick your rod clear down in the water and try to run your Rapala over the top of the right depth to get them up. Now with this, you can truly... And, you know, a crappie's a fish that loves to suspend. So whether in a weed bed or you're out here on Hillsdale by me fishing for white crappie and they're suspended in the treetops right at 10 feet down, you can keep this lure right in that 10-foot zone. And, of course, bass will do this. White bass will do it. I mean, this lure, this August, when the whites are hitting the top water stuff and all that, I can't wait. It's going to be just a whole lot of fun. But, yeah, you can keep it right there in the zone. A lot easier to keep it in the strike zone. Let's get this recording done so I can get back out there. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it comes in a lot of different colors. One of the other things I like is there's a huge size variation. So if you're fishing ultralight, you can use this. If you're fishing for larger bass or stripers, you could use it for that as well. So they, they've really um, created a lot of different variations with with it. It's definitely something I will keep in my uh, tackle box from now on um, for the smallmouth and largemouth and other species I fish for. This is perfect. I think it'd be great for walleye, for sawgye, whatever you're uh, fishing for. Um, I give them high marks for the research and uh, I give them even higher marks for sending us some free lures to review. Hey, that's right, because we sent out a bunch of press releases and Berkeley got right on it. So uh, first in line, thank you so much, Berkeley. Warning, warning, Lure News Alert, Lure News Alert. Okay, news flash. here we go. We got 44-year-old country singer and American Idol judge Luke Bryan, who had to seek medical attention following a fishing injury in which his lure punctured his thumb in two places. In a video he posted online, Bryan said, this is going to leave a mark, and pretty sure that's in my bone. 
<laughs> Ouch, man. I mean it. But we'll be back on the water in about 25 minutes, he added, and he was back on his boat and fishing within a few hours. Anyway, we posted a link to the video in the show notes. With all the national reporting on this story, not one news outlet bothered to find out what type of lure it was that Luke Bryan was using. I mean, to me, this is an outrage. This is the 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 status, the quality of our national reporting today, and why people are so upset about fake news. You know, you you won't find that kind of shoddy journalism on the Lure Love podcast, where we always get to the bottom of what lure was involved. Unfortunately, there were no great photos of the lure because Brian's thumb kept blocking the, the, the lure in the video. So we asked Lucy, the Lurematic computer, to piece together partial photos and make a determination about the lure. So, Lucy, what did you find? Well, guys, there were no clear brand markings on the lure. I could tell it was a crankbait with a square bill. The body was silver with some blue on the back. Plus, there was a small area of yellow color around the base of the front treble hook. Running the image through my extensive lure database, I can say with 98% certainty that the lure was a Strike King KVD Square Bill Silent Crankbait in Chrome Sexy Shad. Lucy, you are amazing. So, John, what do you know about the Strike King KVD Square Bill Silent Crankbait? Well, according to Strike King's website, it's designed to the exact specifications of the four-time Bassmaster Classic champ, Kevin Van Damme. They call it a silent assassin. Silent, but deadly, huh? You can smell that all the way through the microphone? <laughs> oh, no, wait. We're talking about the lure here. Sorry. And, and it, by the way, it was the dog, not me. Um, <laughs> folks, this square bill is designed to bounce off and deflect off cover and wander with an erratic searching action while still running true. The KVD square bill silent crankbait does not have any internal rattles, which makes it good for sketch, um, skittish, you know, pressured fish. John, so here's my question about this unfortunate fishing accident. Do you think the hook could be saved? And if so, would you need to resharpen it before fishing again, considering that penetrated bone? Yeah, yeah, I love that. You're a tackle tinker. You know, it's like, I don't know. I hope so. Cause you know, it's like say, you know, we're always saving hooks off old lures. We're always, yeah, you got to save that hook. Um, it definitely going to need to be resharpened though. I think. He, I tell you what, he had a smile on his face, but this is a nasty looking injury. It is a big treble and it definitely looks in the, the video like it penetrated bone. Oh man. One time I had some lures set out on the handrail of a dock, you know, the dock fence uh, railing all the way around. I had them set out on top of it and I saw a bass rise at a dock, a cottage or two over. And so I just grabbed one of those lures and started to run. And it snagged into the wood of the dock, which caused it to go into the pad of my thumb. Ouch. And basically yanked me, you know, back off my feet. So by the own weight of my body, I got hooked on that. Yeah, I was just a teenager at the time, only about 15. And I had to uh, stand there and try to figure out all this stuff I'd read about what to do when you get hooked. And you're sitting there going, you know, trying to remember. And the, they used to teach us to put line through it, you know, and then press down and all this crazy stuff. But, uh, just between me and my pocket knife, and my pliers, I, I got it out, but that wasn't, uh, well, yeah. And then I didn't tell any grownups, which was dumb. I'm glad I didn't get tetanus from that, but, uh, <laughs> I got away with it, but boy, so I know how kind of, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the club, Luke, I'm in the club. I know how it feels, man. You so you know what a bass feels like when you're ripping lips. It, that's what happened to you, but with your thumb. Yeah. 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 That's why I always feel so guilty if I don't, don't get them where I'm supposed to. Now, I haven't had been stuck myself, but I remember I was 
fishing with my kids at a pond one day and this girl who was about 10 came up who had never fished before and grabbed some kid's fishing pole and, you know, one of these Zebco units that have like the, the 10 or 12 pound test line on it. And she heaved back to cast and caught another kid right in the cheek so hard that when she cast, she snapped the 10 pound tests. And what, 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 what was amazing about it was after you got done hearing the screams is there was no blood at all. It was like she had pierced her cheek that it pinched right, right through with the hook. Now this was a single hook. I think it was a small jig that that she had on there, but I can still hear that snap. And it's the, the crazy thing is I told my kids, I said, stay away from her when she's cast and she looks a little bit erratic and then that happened so <laughs> i feel so bad for the kid that got stuck and and uh and for everybody but oh my god i yeah i i did too but we, we got the the uh the kid to the emergency room and they were able to get it out you know no no harm done but yeah well it's too bad she wasn't a 90s goth girl she could have just left it in <laughs> john as a follow-up question do you think Strike King will start to put a warning label on their crankbaits that says keep away from thumbs and famous country singers? Uh, yeah, but after our little story session, I guess we're going to have to add crazy kids and <laughs> old hippies that never grew up. And it's going to be a warning label that like when you open the lure, it just kind of scrolls out, you know, and accordion folds all the way down to your feet. So I don't know. I don't know if we, we need to put Strike King uh, through that and all the rest or if we could just wise up, you know what I'm saying? You know what, Tim? I think got hooked on a sexy shad would make a good name for a country song. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, Luke, the funny thing is Luke Bryan is actually a huge fishing fanatic. And um, I don't know if you know, but he had a album that came out in 2020 that has a song titled Bill Dance about the, the bass fishing legend. And here's the lyrics to the first verse. And I just love this. I mean, he re- this guy loves to fish. And this is the first verse of the song. It goes... Saved all my birthday money up, put it down on a rod and reel. I got my green and tan plano loaded up, permission to fish behind that old sawmill. Mama said, watch for snakes. Daddy said, shut the gate. Brother said, they're biting on the Zoom black and red flake. Zoom plastic worms. Gotta love it. I mean, it. that's awesome. That's awesome. There's so much in that little verse right there. Um Anyway, I just love it. I am not very familiar with Luke's work, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that right away. You got to love any song that actually is mentioning the brand names of lures and fishing. That's that's right up my alley. Oh, and the fact that, he, you know, this guy isn't making this up. I mean, a green and tan Plano, you know, <laughs> who doesn't have or didn't have one. And daddy said, shut the gate, uh, got permission to go where he was fishing. Um, you know, it's you know, be, be a good sport and, um, get some inside info from your older brother and get going, you know, (laughs) but yeah, that's, that's just awesome. Just awesome. I'll tell you what, Luke, Brian, if you are listening, please contact us to confirm that Lucy was correct about the KVD square bill, silent crankbait. And buddy, if you ever want to come on to the podcast and talk about lures, you're always welcome. Smart lure corporation announced that they've developed the world's first intelligent lure the Smart Lure Model Zero, which collects data on its actions and environmental factors while it's in the water and then transfers the data to your smartphone for processing. This enables anglers to obtain accurate information on the underwater environment that could not be seen ever before and to use that information as clues to improve their catch. 
The Smart Lure Model Zero is equipped with a proprietary sensor module that produces high-definition data on water temperature, brightness, and actions, and the depth of the lure while it's in the water. Data is transferred to the Smart Lure app whenever requested by the angler. In addition to the location and date and time information, the app also integrates the weather conditions, moon cycle, tides, and other information that could affect the behavior of fish and ultimately fishing results. The company analyzes data by fish species, underwater environment, lure types, colors, and actions so that the secrets of fishing can be brought to light. That's up from its news release. So, John, is it just me or is this company trying to steal all my best fishing spots? <laughs> you know, when it comes to technology, you know, I was there when they came out with the, the fish finder, but people were like, those darn things need to be outlawed. You know, fish finder is not fair. One thing I like about this, though, is that it does give the geeked out scientific angler a lot of data to play with. That's no doubt about that. It's clearly is going to provide a huge amount of data. See, yeah. my, my feeling is if I'm going to get skunked, I want to get skunked the old fashioned way. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'll tell you, this, as you were reading this, I'm sitting there going, you know, a lot of this stuff I'm doing, just collecting through my senses. Okay. But it's taken me 43 years to get here. Okay. And on, on the other hand, you know, when I look at my 17 year old self, my 14 year old self, and I think of a person out there, a young person out there with their cell phone and, and they're living in a tech world. And to them, this is just another instrument, scientific instrument to gather data so they can make, maybe make their decisions based on science. But I would hope they'd have a, a, a fisher that had done it the old fashioned way. They can tell them, you know, you got to learn to get where the fish are. You got to get the touch. So, you know, when you got a strike, you may know where they're at. You may know what they want, but if you can't tell they've hit your lure, then, you know, you're out of luck. So there's a lot of things that an app can do for you, but there's a lot of things that never will. You're absolutely right. What you don't want the app to tell you is, John, you have not caught any fish in the last 17 hours. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need an app for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I'll tell you, John, if I wanted a high-tech lure, there are three things that I would want it to do. The first is, I want it to be able to deploy a small crowbar and unsnag itself so I would never lose a lure again. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then the second thing is when two fish approach the lure, and this is probably you've had this before, I want the lure to automatically swim into the mouth of the larger fish because inevitably that smaller fish beats out the larger one by two inches. Every time, every time, every time, every time. And I, oh man, I've got some stories. <laughs> and then the third thing is if the bass are finicky, I'd like to lure to be able to taunt them by saying things like your mother was a carp and your father was a catfish to really entice them to chomp down on it. Big old, you know, male bass being like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. W what do you want in the high tech lure? Okay, so here's what I want in my high-tech lure, okay? First of all, I want to have it to have a metal detector in it so I can hunt treasure while I fish. So if the fish aren't biting and and uh, I can get out my magnet and pull up uh, treasure or, or get out my swim fins and, and find some treasure, whatever, right? But I want it to hunt for treasure. So you could catch like a 10-pound salmon and a Buick in the same cast? <laughs> I, 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 that, would, that would be the whole idea. It's like my Buick and whatever comes spilling out when we open the doors is mine as well. 
also, uh, you know, we talk about what, what does a fish know? And I want the lure to transmit all the grunts and noises I don't realize I am making while cranking in a good fish to the fish. So the fish knows he's got a chance that he's having an effect on the monster that's up there pulling him towards shore. Because, dude, the first time I ever made a YouTube video of myself fishing, I all the puffing and huffing, <laughs> grunting and all these noises. My, you know, Kathy was just like, what in the world? How old are you supposed to be? And uh, so anyway, I want to give the fish a chance. I love it. I totally want it to grow legs and scramble like a crab over deadfalls and, and, uh, lily pads and then jump off, especially lily pads, maybe scramble up on it, run around a couple of times to set up <laughs> sort of a thing, maybe hop from one or two pads to the other, then dive in, you know, boom. And so that's, that, that's what my, my automatic, uh, high-tech lure can do. I am so surprised that we have not been contacted by one of these high-tech companies as research consultants. With ideas like this, we would be on the cutting edge. All we need is a Kickstarter campaign and raise a couple, <laughs> couple million dollars, and we will get right on this. Just a couple mil, and we're there. All right. <laughs> easy, as, easy as breathing. All right. Well, that's all for today. We'd like to thank Grace Beat for singing our intro-outro song. We like to thank Glasswater Angling for making Lure Love possible. And we really want to thank Berkeley for sending us those hit sticks, baby. We are so excited to use your new lure. We got it off the hot lure list for 2021. And by golly, that's where it sure belongs, right up there at the top. So thank you, Berkeley. Until next time, this is Tim, Lucy, and the Crappie Hippie asking why buy one lure when you can buy 103. Lure love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures and you can buy a hundred and three? All right. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, John. We really do appreciate you. And I wish you all the best with the Lure Love podcast. And that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Special thanks to Tim Beat and John King. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and all the Patreon subscribers to stay with us over the summer. Uh, thank you. We really do appreciate you. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. That's the whole podcast. You did it. You Whether you're it. fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points 
needs to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.